0: Good morning everyone and welcome to this Institute for Government event. Today we're going to be looking at the legacy of Covid-19 for Parliament. The arrival of Covid-19 obviously forced both Houses of Parliament to innovate very quickly and unexpectedly and to experiment with new ways of working and this had a dramatic effect on the way that MPs and peers went about doing their jobs. The changes were in many ways vital to allow Parliament to do its Uh, fulfil its roles to pass legislation, to facilitate debate, to hold the government to account, to ensure that the views and and, and, uh, uh, um, uh, perspectives of constituents were being represented. But they've not been without controversy. Questions have been raised about uh, the quality of accountability when ministers have been appearing online, about the spontaneity of debate, uh, and about the democratic implications of different ways of voting. But there are also clear benefits from greater use of digital technology. Most obviously, in terms of inclusion, but also for the ways in which MPs can balance their various respons- and peers, of course, can balance their various responsibilities. So the aim of this event uh, is to discuss Westminster's experience of the pandemic and to look forward, really, to at what innovations should be kept um, and what should be dropped and what who should decide. And I'm really delighted. We've got a fantastic panel with us today to to discuss all these questions with a range of different perspectives. So we should have a really rich discussion. Uh, We have Professor the Lord Norton of Louth, who is Professor of uh, Government at the University of Hull and President of the Study of Parliament Group. Um, and one of the reasons I was so keen to have this event today is because the Study of Parliament Group's been doing uh, some, some research and, and pr- produced a publication uh, looking at the uh, experience of parliaments, plural, uh, in the UK and beyond in the pandemic. Um, and I think Philip's going to tell us a little bit about that uh, later on. Our second panellist is Matthew Hamlin, who is strategic director in the Chamber Business Team in the House of Commons. And he's been uh, really in the thick of the, all the uh, Uh, innovations and changes that have happened in the House of Commons uh, to accommodate the the pandemic. And and so he's got a really fascinating insight, I think, into what's gone on. And hopefully he'll be able to share that with us today. And finally, we have uh, Tracy Crouch, MP, who is Conservative MP for Chatham and Aylesford, and she has been since 2010. She's, of course, former Minister for Sport, Civil Society and Loneliness. And as announced yesterday, chair of a new review into the governance, financing and regulation of football after six English Premier League teams joined a cast list of big teams from across Europe and announced their intention to form a breakaway European Super League. Uh, Tracy, before we kick off, I just actually can't uh, resist asking you a quick question about your review, if that's okay. Um, Of course. uh, I... I mean, essentially, I mean, the big question in everyone's mind is, you know, can it be stopped? And are there tools at the government's disposal to do that, do you think?
1: Well, I think that both the Prime Minister and the Culture Secretary have set out very robust uh, views on this. I think they've made it very clear that they will do all they can uh, to stop this from going ahead. And I think that there are many things that they will be looking at uh, as part of that process. Uh, what they are looking at in the, uh, the European Super League will run parallel to what I will be looking at in the long term financial sustainability and governance of football. Uh, but it is undoubtedly the case that the news around the uh, ESL has certainly triggered uh, the review into the future of
0: football. And and just to make make this a sort of parliamentary question, um, if what the government wants to do uh, involves some kind of legislation, is there literally the sort of the time available to pass legislation that might be needed before um, the, 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 the season would kick off in August?
1: Well, I'm I'm not sure that there will be proposals put forward for the season kicking off in August, Um, but certainly uh, it has been made very clear that um, the government is going to look at everything. And for me, there is nothing off the table in terms of the review. Um, So uh, I think if we do get to a position where legislation is required for perhaps some regulatory uh, purposes, then I suspect that the time will
0: be made available for that to happen. Great. OK, well, I'll stop uh, hijacking this event, but to talk about football um, and uh, just to give everyone a few logistics about how the event is going to run. Um, if you're watching live, you can post your questions in the Q&A, um, in which, which people have already started to do, which is great. There's a Q&A panel at the side of your screen. Um, Please do start doing that as soon as you like Um, and if you see a question similar to one that you'd like to ask uh, then please do feel free to up like it so that we can see which the most popular ones are and I can make sure those are asked. Um, We'll be live tweeting from the IFG events uh, uh, account um, and our hashtag is Parliament um uh, so please do follow that and and tweet along if you would like and finally just to let everyone know that the audio and video recordings of the event will be up on our web- website within um uh, hopefully 24 hours but certainly soon after that um so if you want to watch again then you it will be open to you to to do that but let's press on now with our 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 event i want to start um matthew with you actually and just to ask you to set out for us what the main changes and innovations were, which happened in Parliament um, in response to COVID-19 arriving around this time last year.
2: Thanks very much, Hannah, and thanks for the invitation to come to the panel. Uh, I'll try and sketch out in just a few minutes, the various things that happened, and I hope uh, Philip will forgive me if I'm a bit common-centric, because that's where I work, uh, and I was much more heavily involved in the common side than the Lords. But the first thing I would say is this was very much a bicameral operation, partly because the people who did so much of the heavy lifting in our broadcasting team and in our digital team are bicameral. So we have the advantage at the beginning of a lot of colleagues in Parliament who are very familiar with the the, the different needs of the two houses. But trying to take everyone's mind back to mid-March last year, which feels like about a thousand years ago. The... It became clear as the news of the pandemic and its severity spread, that we couldn't go on operating our usual model of a crowded chamber. Well, I mean, crowded when interesting things were going on quite empty, actually quite a lot of the time. Um, but we also couldn't do likewise with our committees. Uh, we couldn't crowd in, we couldn't do all the normal things that happen in politics, which is a very gregarious profession. It's a very sociable profession, uh, even more so perhaps than some others. So you may recall the very last prime minister's questions before the Easter recess of 2020 was the first time we had run a kind of COVID secure chamber. And the speaker and the house authorities and um, party leaders worked to ensure that we had for the first time that very empty chamber the Prime Ministers are rather isolated, believe the, the opposition rather isolated with masses of green benches. That was stage one, just how do you make this place safer? But it then became clear that we we couldn't do everything physically because members were shielding the government's advice was to work plan if you can. and we were getting challenges from members, you know to the speaker, to my boss, the clerk of the House of Commons, and no doubt the same was happening to the Lord saying there must be a way of innovating to make you know, if, you know, there's the classic, well, if I can speak to my grandma on Zoom, why can't X, Y, Z? So the, the trailblazers on this, as so often in Parliament, were the select committees. So in the Commons, we passed a resolution um, before the Easter recess, which allowed committees to meet with members participating using el- electronic means authorised by the speaker, which meant that that took place on the Tuesday, on the Friday, Jeremy Hump chaired the first virtual meeting of the Health and Social Care Committee on COVID. And over the Easter recess, we had the, possibly the busiest Easter recess anyone can remember in the committee office. It very rapidly became very easy to run virtual meetings. Um, so the Chamber then had to learn from that. So we had three weeks in the Commons and about the same amount of time for the Lords to work out how to take the principles of outside broadcast basically applied in the Chamber. So by the time the House came back from the Easter recess 2020, the Commons started with uh, a hybrid model Uh, The Lords initially started with a virtual model, uh, which later became a hybrid model with a certain amount of trying out different uh, technology platforms. We both ended up using Zoom um, and we started small. The speaker said, the thing we must be able to do is scrutiny of the the executive. So we ran with questions and ministerial statements on a hybrid basis, quite a lot of breaks between items of business because we were just really making this up as we went along. It was slightly terrifying um, because we had three weeks to get it right. And then gradually we extended that to other items of business uh, and the Lords likewise gradually built up and this is against the background of an incredibly busy program of committee meetings so we were also furiously upgrading all our committee rooms to, to allow more and more uh, capacity for virtual or hybrid meetings um, the other thing we discovered we couldn't do in the usual way was voting in either house which is you know, it's about as COVID insecure as you can get. Let's find an ill-ventilated corridor and deliberately make it very crowded repeatedly uh, and not a good look. So we devised a series of methods in both houses for COVID secure voting. Um, we, in the Commons and in the Lords, initially adopted electronic remote voting. This is another piece of kit which is rolled out very, very fast. Uh, the Lords have kept that. Members can vote using their device from wherever they are. The commons uh, did it and then uh, did not um, continue with it. Um, that was a, a decision in effect by the house. So we moved on to a series of other systems. We've ended up with members swiping their security passes on pass readers to generate the votes, which means we can spread out the the flow of members through the lobby. We then made it even safer as we particularly we got into the, the most recent lockdown. Uh, by extending proxy voting, which the House had introduced a few years earlier for members on parental leave. And we extended it essentially to anyone who applied for it, which means we have very few bodies actually going through the lobbies. So it's a lot safer now. So, I mean, that very quickly is all the things we have done since uh, December, when we we moved back to, I should say, last summer, spring summer, we moved back to merely having hybrid scrutiny. So members who Want to take part in debates on legislation or general debates had to be there in person. That was controversial, obviously. Um, as the pandemic took hold again later, late last year, we went back to a model where the entirety of normal proceedings in the Commons were hybrid. And you know, as as a result, um, you will see in the stats which I might quote later on a big spike in the number of members taking part virtually. I think currently it's about a third of all uh, participation um and sometimes higher but it's very rare we have fewer than 100 virtual contributions on any sitting day or any sitting week so i think i'll stop there um we're now looking forward to even when we unwind it all again but i'll that was that was a kind of whistle stop tour.
0: brilliant thank you very much matthew um philip can i ask you to come in and give us the lord's perspective um because obviously some some similarities but also some important differences i think
3: Uh, Yes, indeed. I mean, some key uh, differences which Matthew has touched upon. Um, I think my opening point, though, would be to give credit to um, the staff who've made all this technically possible, because put in comparative perspective, Parliament's done rather well compared to many other Parliaments in being able to proceed in the way uh, that it has. So I think we should acknowledge uh, that. I think that's been very important. There are all sorts of problems with the proceedings, but the fact we have proceedings is, I think, absolutely vital and the way uh, that's been achieved. We should uh, commend those responsible for it. Um, In terms of the Lords, I think it's important to put it in context that um, we have a problem with size. We've got lots of members, but a relatively small chamber, certainly relative to the Commons chamber. So with us, we can only have 30 members in the chamber at any one time socially distanced but we've got over, we've got approximately 800 members. So a particular challenge enabling us to uh, do our uh, 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 normal task. Um, As Matthew has said, we started meeting virtually. We have then moved to hybridity and we've maintained uh, that uh, throughout. Um, We have to sign up in advance for whatever it is, including supplementary questions, you know, taking part on uh, amendments with legislation. And when you sign up, you indicate whether you're going to be present physically or um, come in virtually. And because of the numbers factor, most will be contributing virtually. Um, The other point I'd make, Matthew's alluded to it, is uh, we vote electronically. We've not now experimented with other means. We've just maintained that. Um, So we've been consistent and it's not been problematic. Um, it's it's very easy to do. I've got my Lord's laptop here. If there was a vote, I'd hear the vision bells. Um, I just press a button Um, that would be it. So there's certain convenience to it, quite controversial in the sense that perhaps a bit too uh, 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 convenient. Um, and it does mean um, wherever you are, you can vote. So uh, sort of arguments for and against. But um, with us, as I say, we've not followed the Commons, so there's no proxy voting because we don't need it. Um, uh, we've just maintained that from the beginning and uh, hardly any technical problems. It's um, been, uh, as a process, it, it's worked well. Thanks,
0: Philip. And just to kind of, um, t- to follow on from that, I mean, you wrote in the in the study of Parliament Group Publication about some of the sort of the pros and cons as you felt of of the way in which those those um, I- innovations have played out. Do you want to give us a little uh, a bit of a flavour of that, and then it would be really interesting to hear the Tracy's
3: view from the other from the other end of the building. Yes, if I was identifying a number of the uh, limitations. I mean, as I say, it, it's worked, but there are problems deriving from uh, by virtue of the small chamber um, and that. We have to keep adjourning between proceedings for members to go out, others to come in, so there's a time factor, it becomes very clunky. I've mentioned you've got to sign up at advance, so there's no spontaneity. Um, We took the decision um, that there would be no interventions. So it's problematic, you can't intervene, so Ministers the Dispatch Box delivering a speech. Members can't challenge what the Minister's saying. Uh, And the other factor, as I say, with the, particularly with so few members being able to be in the chamber, that you don't get a feel for the House. You don't know what the reaction is. So members may be dispersed watching, might be up in arms or might all be cheering, saying that's absolutely wonderful. You've absolutely no idea whether you're carrying the chamber with you or not. I mean, that applies to any member speaking, not just uh, ministers. So, and the other downside Um, is that although we've been able to formally um, recreate the chamber and committees in hybrid form, but we've got them, so we've recreated the formal space, what's totally missing is the informal space. So we don't have a virtual equivalent of the Bishop's Bar or even of the corridors where members can come together informally. And that's a vital part of parliamentary life. You need that informal contact for the purpose of information exchange. It's vital political intelligence. You need it to lobby if you're wanting to get an amendment through and things like that. Um, And uh, mind you, it's also important from the point of view of socialisation for new members. Um, We've had a new input of of peers, I don't know who they are, we don't interact um, with them. So that dimension is missing and in a way that favours the executive because members can't suddenly come together and question, well, what's the government doing? How are we going to vote on this? Have you heard this about what the government's doing and so on? So that's um, an integral part of parliamentary life, absolutely crucial. And that's gone. You can only deal with it by You phoning somebody, texting them, perhaps have a WhatsApp group, but that's no substitute for just informal contact, particularly in the Lords, because we don't have individual offices. We share offices. That's very valuable for talking to your colleagues. You're in constant contact, can know instantly, you know, what's going on. Have you heard this? And that's that's completely gone. So if we're dispersed, we're isolated. And as I say, I think that favours the um, executive. So that, that's a real problem why there's, I think tremendous pressure on the part of members really keen to come back simply for that dimension. We can actually see one another, we can talk, we can discuss matters in preparation then for the use of formal space, what we're going to in the chamber, what we're going to in committee and use that opportunity then to press ministers more. Within the limited context, as I say, we have now, there isn't that spontaneity, spontaneity. there's no real debate, you can't intervene when ministers are at the dispatch box. So those are the sort of the problems at the moment that coming back together would address or whether we could advance using, you know, having an electronic as a virtual Bishop's Bar. Uh, For informal contact. As an aside, picking up on what Matthew was saying about the importance of bicameralism as well, the informal dimension is so important for seeing members of the other house, Um, because otherwise you tend not to know what's going on down the corridor other than talking to members of the chamber, bumping into them, and having a, a, a discussion. So, in terms of parliamentary life, it's been so important in the past couple of decades, the existence of Portcullis House, uh, the social space there, particularly for members coming, you know, m- meeting informally from the two uh, chambers and just observing what's going on. That's what's that's what's missing. So I think that's the real problem. If we're looking at it from the point of view of um, calling government to account, you need that informal interaction.
0: That's really fascinating, Philip, and I'm, I'm particularly interested by the, these questions of what what digital can't do in terms of both the sort of you're talking about the cues that you do or don't get from the, the chamber, and but also the the sort of the informal spaces. Tracy, um, it'd be really good to hear your perspective from the from the Commons end of the, of the building. Um, the benefits, the challenges of, of doing everything online and and I'm particularly interested in whether you've been surprised by your reaction to any of the things that have been done or the things that you had preconceptions about um, and maybe you feel differently about now that, now that you've seen them in action. Well, I
1: mean, first thing to say is I think Matthew and his team have done a phenomenal job in terms of very quickly transforming the way uh, Parliament works so that we can continue uh, to engage in our parliamentary duties. I think the challenges for me, I think they're twofold. I think that the, the, the first is personal and the second is procedural. Um, and I think the, the first, is, as from a personal perspective, is that in ordinary times, I leave my home in Kent on a Monday. Um, I come up to Westminster and I stay in Westminster uh, until a Thursday, and it means that I am completely focused uh, on what we are doing in Westminster. And um, you know, there, there may well be distractions, uh, but you know, you, you're there for the duration, and you sort of compartmentalise. The, the the work of of your you know the parliamentary side of of the work that you do as an MP when you're at home um especially if you have a small child um it is actually very difficult to work your normal parliamentary hours that you would be working um uh, in Westminster because you suddenly have a you know a small child home at three o'clock in the afternoon, and as you can see now, I'm you know doing this Zoom from a utility room because he is home from school today, uh, unfortunately, and um, so I'm currently hiding uh, in the utility room so that I can participate in the Zoom, and it is thanks to the Star Wars DVD that is currently keeping him occupied that I'm allowed to sort of kind of do this, but. Um, you know, we don't all live in enormous mansions and we don't have nannies and we don't have, you know, all these other things that people think that MPs do have uh, in order to be able to uh, just carry on, you know, and do an eight o'clock kind of parliamentary debate when actually you know, you're home. So you should be putting your son to bed type thing. That's a personal thing and everybody is different and all the circumstances different. And many people have been able to do that. I just have not been able to do that um so i've i i can only participate in parliamentary uh discussion where there is an option for me to be able to do so either he's at school or he's out or 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 otherwise procedurally i think there's been there's been an evolution uh of the uh, of the procedures um that matthew alluded to to some of the controversy about um parts of westminster not being uh, open to um... Members to be able to debate from a virtual perspective, and I'm afraid, afraid I found myself at a bit of a centre of a storm on that. Uh, in that, um, there was a Westminster Hall debate on breast cancer, uh, and having gone through breast cancer over the last nine months, you know, I I wanted to be able to participate in that just because I suddenly learnt quite a not, lot of new things about diagnosis and treatment and the needs of hospitals and uh, and for you know uh, checking and so on. So I I could have you know I think value you know contributed to that discussion um but at that particular point Westminster Hall wasn't open for um the broadcast uh of virtual proceedings and and that has changed and again that's down to Matthew and the leader of the house and I think some good consensus across the house about how how we can make that work um but um but it was frustrating at the time and that's not Matthew and his team's fault there were just technical issues that made it impossible to do so I do think that there are some plus sides to things like proxy voting. I I actually hope that one of the things that comes out of this is that there will be an extension of proxy voting now that people can see that it can work to other aspects of uh, an MP's life. Um, So at the moment it it does only cover uh, uh, parental leave, uh, I believe, but it doesn't cover bereavement leave. Uh, I don't think, and and you know, I I have known colleagues who have lost you know either their husband or wife, or indeed their son or daughter in in a couple of incidents, and have been required to be in the voting lobbies the following day, and you know, and I think that's really hard. And I think actually, if we want more people from different backgrounds coming into Parliament, representing the constituents, then we have to look at some you know alternative ways to make it an acceptable place to work. Um, I completely agree with Lord Norton about some aspects around the scrutiny. It is much harder without the spontaneity to be able to scrutinise uh, legislation or indeed ministers, and it is important that backbenchers hold the executive to account. Um, And I'm not just saying that because I was once a student of Lord Norton. Um, But but I do think it is is part of our role, as part of our duty um, as parliamentarians to hold the executive to account. Uh, I also think that actually some of the spontaneity in select committees as well uh, has been lost. You know, I think that there is nothing like listening to a colleague ask a question and getting an answer and thinking, well, hold on a second. You know, I think I can easily pitch in with an additional uh, question here and and almost interrupt the, the witness and and so on. It's not being rude. It is about sort of kind of that spontaneity that we have in politics. And the other point that Lord Norton made, which I think is is really important. Uh, is that actually a, a lot of what we do uh, and the conversations that we have are, go way beyond the chamber? And um, we just don't have that ability at the moment to be able to talk to ministers uh, direct about either a constituency case uh, or wider policy matters. And, you know, I found myself suddenly quite high up on the the rebels list, Um, and I thought that's (laughs) I mean, it's not unusual for me to be on a rebels list, but I found myself quite high up on this rebels list And, um, uh, and I was reflecting on this. And and although to be honest with you, they're all about the environment or animal welfare that actually part of it could have been avoided if you were able to have those conversations with ministers about your particular concerns and a telephone call. Can come to date. It can not come at all. Um, it could come in the middle of a institute for government uh, live event, you know, and so you can't answer it. And so it's sort of kind of that there is an issue around actually being able to discuss the future of policy, get the assurances, look people in the eyes, and be able to get their you know and to trust them because you've had that conversation. And I'm afraid, uh, uh, unfortunately, that hasn't happened.
0: That's that's really fascinating to to hear that experience and. I, I, I want to ask you, you all now about what you feel. I mean, you've, you've, everyone's touched on this to an extent, but what you feel about the effectiveness with which um, Parliament can can fulfil its various roles in this in this current situation. I mean, clearly, um, you know, it is operating in a way that actually social distancing might have meant that you know, in, and in some countries certainly, you know, Parliament has has just not met. Parliaments have not met. Um, or certainly didn't for, for for long periods, and you know we're it's fantastic that we're not in that situation. But there are implications, I think, for effectiveness. I wanted to come first on this question and just pick up a, a question that's come through um, uh, on the Q and A and and put it to you, Matthew, which is about participation levels. Because obviously one of the things around effectiveness, you know, we, we've touched on sort of the importance of informality. Um, uh, uh informal in, in interactions we've touched on um you know how well you can hold a minister to account when they're participating online and so on but one of the other important things is is who is participating via these different modes and that, has that been changed by by
2: um by the pandemic matthew could you kick uh, us so off on that uh i i can i'm not sure uh how much severe hard data i can give you uh in terms of changing patterns i think some initial I think there is more, what's interesting is there is now more data available about, you know, who is going to be, who is speaking in debates. Uh, And we've revealed in the Commons, we've now emulated the Lords in publishing lists of members who are due to be called in debates. And this is uh, one of the changes, is not a technological change, it's a change in practice, which is driven by the needs of the technology and also by the need to keep numbers low in the chamber. So we have what we now call call lists and people have done some quite interesting analysis of those trying to work out are there any particular patterns, you know. Um, the answer seems to be not, there's nothing, I don't think we've noticed a radical Either change or, or or any very obvious patterns of att- you know, of attendance, either virtually or physically. Um, I haven't done the analysis. Um, as you would expect, um, we have a lot of virtual participation from Scotland because it's further away, um, and it is yet yeah, more of a hassle to get here. It, but it's not it's not consistent. I mean, a lot of the time members attend in person. I mean, absent the ones who were shielding and obviously couldn't leave leave home. Um, Some of it is down to almost personal preference and increasingly we've noticed recently that members switch between modes. Uh, Now we've made it very easy. Um, I I think where the biggest change in where there's potentially very large opportunity in terms of wider representation or a more inclusive representation is actually on select committees where obviously using virtual means means it's very much easier for a wide range of witnesses to take part. witnesses who might pass said, well, I do not want to give up a day to come to London to go in front of committee with all the uh, the hassle involved in that, can much more easily come in for a couple of hours, Zoom, Zoom um, uh, conversation with members. And I think committees have noticed that. I think some of the all-party groups have noticed that as well. Um, it's obviously not for me as officials to say what should be retained, but it is worth noting that for many decades, it's been theoretically possible for witness to, witnesses to give evidence remotely. We've now finally, thanks to this crisis, upgraded our ability to do that much more. So I suspect that that is here to stay because we've made it technologically more possible. Um, so I think that's an area where there's a lot of potential. And while I've got the mic, I should just say, it's very nice for Tracy and Philip to come name check me. I'm, I'm the sort of, face of the faces bureaucrat representing an enormous number of colleagues who did all the actual work. I just sort of, you know, try to do a bit of coordination.
0: Thank you, faceless, faceless bureaucrat. Um, I, I want to come to you next, um, uh, Philip, just to, to ask about participation in the Lords, because I yeah. think that one of the interesting things that, that's happened there is, is there have been changes, but to some extent that's been to do with allowances rather than uh, some of the technical side, or at least that's been influential. Um, and then I'd love to come to you, Tracy, next, and, and ask about the constituency side of your role.
3: But Philip. Well, I was going to focus on the participation side. I mean, there's a problem with uh, attendance allowance. How have we been able to uh, uh, adapt that? But from the point of view of participation, there have been some differences and there have been some positives in that respect. Um, Notably at question time, because you've got to sign up now to ask supplementaries. There's a tend to use balloting then to decide who's going to be able to ask the supplementaries. So it has meant there's been a greater range a broader range of members participating in question time. It's not been the usual suspects, i.e. those who've been able to get to their feet very quickly and that they can sort of shout the loudest, um, to put supplementaries because um, uh, question time is in the Lords has tended to be dominated by a small number of Uh, peers who disproportionately uh, participate. Uh, Under the present system, it's more spread out. um, So a greater range of members are able to uh, put uh, uh, supplementary. So it's a bit artificial. I say you've got to sign up in advance to do it, but it does mean more members or a broader range of members are, are doing that. And an allied point is, I think, not just question time, but debates generally uh, I think are more congenial for women peers so I think there's been an increase in participation by the women peers because it gets away from um, the chamber although generally that's not too, been too bad in the Lords anyway because we don't have quite the same sort of the adversarial atmosphere of the Commons which tends to put off the women members to some extent but I think the the way we proceed has facilitated that. So I think there's been a broader range of participation facilitated by how we do it. And also, of course, we do in the Lords, we do have some members for whom actually attending physically can be quite uh, uh, a challenge. That's been very helpful for those in that uh, situation. so in some cases it's you know physical disability, and uh, I think, as Matthew was such on, you know if, if you've got members who are a long way away, it's quite a challenge having to make the journey just for a sitting or something like that, so at least it it it's more fair in that sense as well, so there have been some changes in in that respect um I think the downside, which is something Matthew has touched on as well, is there's pressure on time. So you're rushing to make your contribution, um, so limits the opportunity for really uh, developing a point in the Lords. We tend to have short speeches anyway, so people don't go on and on, but it it does have a compressing effect on on contributions.
0: Thank you. Um, Tracy, we have a question from George, um, who asks, uh, do you think the pandemic has made it harder for MPs to represent their constituents?
1: It's a good question, um, but and it the issue is is actually explaining what it is that we do for our constituents, because the vast majority of my work for constituents is casework, uh, and actually uh, being at home um, has helped in terms of be you know my email my inbox completely exploded, uh, particularly at the start of the pandemic, particularly at the start of lockdown, um, and uh, and so. A lot of work has been done uh, on ensuring that we look after constituents on an individual case-by-case basis, um, more so than I would say at any point in my eleven years, uh, nearly eleven years as an MP. Um, in terms of representing constituents in a in a parliamentary perspective, I mean Lord Norton will get cross with me to saying this, but actually. And some of that is is the smaller part of what we do as members of Parliament. Um, you know, Parliament is obviously what we get elected to do to re- represent constituents across the whole constituency. But there, truthfully, there are very few issues where you are um, representing your constituents in that respect in Parliament. Um, you know, you are there to support government legislation as I as a government back venture, but what we do from a constituency perspective uh, is difficult. Where the challenge would have come is if, for example, there was a particular issue that was quite unique to a constituent and does require perhaps some legislative change or a policy debate on it, um, then having a, a debate in Westminster Hall or having an adjournment debate on that particular issue that the you know the individual constituent has found themselves in um that has been a bit more challenging or but not impossible thanks to Matthew and his team uh the um, uh, where, where it's um we can still ask questions. So I can still go into transport questions and ask about the Aylesford for towpath or, you know, I can still go to DWP questions and ask about, you know, the, an issue to do with um, drop curbs or you know disability or things like that. So we can still do all that. But I think my point is, is that please don't underestimate what we do as MPs at our laptops, um, because that is. Um, that's what's really exploded uh, over the past year.
0: yeah, I'm sure i'm I'm sure that's that's true. And the rest of us who are sort of um also experiencing back-to-back zoom or teams meetings, there's, there's a different stress and strain also on on people, I think, as individuals having to to do everything at their at their laptops, too. I want to move on to a, a different question about effectiveness, which has come in from uh, Nick Walker. and he says, Um, There's a view that Parliament has been effectively bypassed by the government in its response to the pandemic, for example, by the use of delegated legislation for all the main public health restrictions, which has only had the most cursory scrutiny and debate in Parliament, and in some cases, none. Um, Do panellists agree with that view? And in hindsight, are there ways in which uh, both houses and their committees could have held the government to account better over the last year? Um, Tracy, can I start with you? And I should say, Matthew, I'm not going to ask you to express a view on this one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, I'd say that's a great hindsight question. Um, and, you know, the truth is, is when the pandemic started, yeah, a lot of these things needed to be done really quickly. And I think that we had to put our trust and our faith as members of Parliament and indeed as members of the public um, to into what was being done. I think as time has gone on, um, there has been more scrutiny. Uh, and that is something that has happened because of concerns that were raised by colleagues. Um, And of course, you know, although the scrutiny happens, they all still pass anyway, because there's a consensus across the House that uh, government uh, and its um, uh, related organisations have to do what is possible to uh, whatever is possible in order to control the pandemic. Um, so in an ideal world, would we all love around to sit, you know, sit around for ages and discuss the, the intricate detail of the delegated legislation or the, the restrictions then? Yes, of course, but would it have made a difference to the outcome? No, not at all. So, um, I, you know, I think, you know, what was done was done quickly for a reason. And, um, you know, we've had to do it in the way that it has been done. And, and I think say it's a, it's a hindsight question. Um, it's a good one. Um, But I don't think anything would have changed, even if there was more scrutiny.
0: Can I just ask, looking forward now, um, so abandoning the hindsight and and trying to look forward, um, do you think that that, that that justification for doing things quickly still applies, and particularly for something like, say, vaccine passports, which are quite controversial, do you think it's appropriate for things like that to be done in the same way, or should the government be looking for more ways to facilitate the sort of debate and scrutiny around such controversial questions?
1: Uh, the answer is no. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, certainly something like vaccine passports, you know, is so controversial that it does need to be done. There isn't the cross party consensus. There is no guarantee that it would get a, through Parliament without um, the, the the conversation, the actual discussion in Parliament. Um, but... Um, uh, but again, it's you know that we've got a, a long lead-in time to this. It's not like the restrictions that were being put, put in place. The legislation was being put in place last year. There was no lead-in time. There was just a you know we we had to do it. Um, and um, but where, whereas now we don't have to do this. This is a you know this is a policy decision, and therefore I think requires you know the, the appropriate level of
0: scrutiny in Parliament. Thank you, um, Philip, just to go back to, to Nick's original question around uh, sort of the quality of of uh, the scrutiny that Parliament's been able to
3: to give. do you agree with Tracy on that yes i'd I'd simply reinforce what's been said, I agree completely. It's that balance between speed and scrutiny um there's a crisis government had to move very quickly and and did at the same time you know had to do it very quickly before the two houses actually had to disperse so that was the real challenge at the time, um, and you, you see the consequences of it, as was touched upon in terms of delegated legislation, how the government's been able to move. But with the passage of time, you're you're increasing the capacity of the House now to start scrutinising uh, government in the way that that Tracy has indicated. To be fair, as time's gone on, there's been great there's been the opportunity, for, at least for questioning, as distinct from scrutiny of the actual. Uh, legislation, but questioning ministers about what's going on, uh, certainly the Lord's been very good uh, in coming forward, uh, making statements, responding. Um, But but Trace is absolutely uh, right and there is going to be greater opportunity now for uh, scrutinising what uh, uh, government is doing but you're still in a situation, of course, where you've already enacted legislation and, and governments able to use secondary uh, legislation, um, which doesn't get the same scrutiny as, as primary legislation.
0: Thanks. Can I combine a couple of questions which have come in now to, to talk about the, the point that um that's been raised by 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 a couple of you around um uh, sort of informal engagement and how that's missing? Because I think that's really interesting. Um and there's a question where um uh, asking, you know, both both Tracy and Lord Norton have said how difficult it is to get ministers when they can't catch them in the corridor or the tea room, but isn't this more of a problem with how ministers behave and don't engage with the legislature properly? Shouldn't they see it as their duty for every member of both houses to have access and, and not rely on people having to be there? And there's another question which has come in around sort of saying, doesn't this just show how, um, uh, I can't find the actual question, but essentially it says, you know, if if it's a real problem doesn't it just show that the Lords and the Commons aren't sufficiently technologically um, developed? Shouldn't, you know, most people use WhatsApp and those sorts of groups now, shouldn't we be looking forward to how to s- sort of skill up uh, parliamentarians to use these alternative modes rather than just saying well we have to go back to where we were before? Philip, do you want to, to start with that one?
3: well you can do that to some extent, as i i touched upon you, that there are whatsapp groups you can contact people electronically so and and different groups of members do meet o- o- online and can have uh regular meetings the same as if we're meeting uh physically but that's no substitute for the informal interaction because um, sometimes um you learn things simply by bumping into people um, now it, you can do it to a limited extent electronically, but you've still got to log on. There's an element of planning, it's a bit clunky. Um, Whereas, as I say, if you bump into somebody, if you're sharing a room with them, um, you find out what's going on. It's a valuable form of political uh, intelligence and the speed with which you can do it at times, if you've really got to move, uh, you uh, can do. And it's sort of different situations. Um, uh, in a debate before you vote, you might be chatting to members about how you feel the minister's responded to that. If you're uncertain about how you're going to vote, you want to chat to other things like that. Uh, you can. So it's the immediate self, it, the spontaneity. And as I just generally the, the informality. So yes, we could go further down the road electronically to move in that direction, but you're never going to be able to, I don't think, replicate it um, in the way that you can simply by having that uh, informal space available uh, for uh, members. And Tracy, could, could some of this be
0: solved by ministers behaving differently?
1: So, I can answer this from both a previous minister perspective and as, a, as an MP. Um the words that strike fear into your civil servants uh when you're a minister is i'm just going to pop over to the commons for lunch (laughs) um that's the point that they lose all control over your diary over your um you know policy discussions and everything and you know you can absolutely guarantee that you'll come back from just an hour uh in the commons with a whole list of things that either the civil servants had to do or a brand new policy that you've just discussed over lunch um so you know there is um uh, you know the, the, I, I guess there's, for, for the civil service with, with them, their ministers not in um, the commons at the moment it may well be a wonderful thing um, but for us backbenchers it's slightly different and from a backbencher perspective you know my head is cluttered with a thousand different issues going on all at once and it's only triggered you know when I see that particular personal minister walking down the corridor, you know and it's sort of kind of I could be sitting there thinking, you know, uh, about, I I don't know, the football review and suddenly see Zach Goldsmith walking down the corridor and think, oh, I must remember to ask him about snares, you know, and it's sort of kind of that's those that the actual physical, you know, aspect of seeing people in Parliament is what triggers the conversation that it's, it's here somewhere, but it just needs unlocking. And, um, you know, so th- that's the, the the difference at the moment, I, I think, with what is going on. Um, and I'm certainly I mean, I'm looking forward to things going. Back to some sort of normality uh, in June. I think it's one point I haven't made, and I think it's really important that I make is that, you know, MPs are doing what many many people across the country are doing and are working from home in order to stop the spread of the virus. Um, you know, we're we're not here because. It's far more convenient. We're not here because it's you know easier. Because as you can see, for some of us, it's not. Um, we're not here because you know we're lazy. It's because we've been told to, like many many other people. And you know, I, my background reflects the same the same as millions of working mums across you know the country who are trying to juggle doing a job, which happens in my case to be a member of parliament, and bringing up a five year old. And you know, and and so I think that. You know, these are the challenges and and trust me when june com- june comes and i can leave home on a monday and come back again to the family on a thursday you know i will be on that first train
0: <laughs> thank you um and you know i have my uh, IFG background on so that you can't all see that i'm uh, sitting in my bedroom which is uh, a common uh, experience i think um Matthew can I just ask you to tell us a little bit about the staff perspective on this obviously you know it's not just members whose um uh, jobs have changed completely um and we had a a, a question asked about um which which I uh, you know you may want to touch on and I'm interested in in the others views on but about the balance which should be struck between what members want and what staff need in terms of uh, sort of flexibility and ways of working but if you could just start us off with so sort of the main changes and the experience of staff that
2: would be really interesting. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, as I think Trace has really alluded to, in mean, Parliament is facing and its staff are facing all the same challenges that everyone else is. And I would also say that also goes for members' staff who have been used to, whose operating model changed sort of overnight from coming to Westminster to do their job to, like everyone else, doing it at home. Um, Actually, I actually I just do genuinely feel really sorry for a lot of those members staff for whom a lot of the excitement of the job, although it's obviously wonderful working with people like Tracy and Philip, is also being at the center of, you know, being being in the room where it happens, as it were. And suddenly you're not getting I've talked to a few members who said, Look, frankly, people who work for me didn't come to work for me just because they thought I was wonderful. They like being here. And it's a very different, you know, proposition you know, if you're sitting at home. But for, for staff, um, we did, a, I think a pretty good job in rapidly converting everyone to work from home. It really helped. We'd already instituted things like Office 365. Uh, so everyone had laptops which had their office on them. And we'd spend a lot of time helping people set up at home. The experience has been pretty mixed. I have some colleagues who are delighted and they're saving you know several thousand pounds a year on season tickets coming in from Kent or wherever. And yeah, you know, and they work in the kind of jobs where they very rarely need, actually need to come to work. They're in, you know, in finance or planning or whatever. There are others for whom it's it's they've uh, they've really struggled. You know, uh, to the yeah we we worry a lot about the mental well-being of a lot of our colleagues because they are stuck sometimes. You know, in quite inappropriate domestic circumstances, and work has been a great you know liberator from that. Um, but we've done things. You know. As a small example of how we changed our service model, back in March last year, we closed the table office. For those who don't know what that is, it's a small, ill-ventilated, crowded room at the back of the speaker's chair where members go in and get instant advice and table questions can discuss procedural issues. And my colleague was then in charge at the time. Just decided, no, we're going to move to an entirely online, telephone, email delivery model and we shut it and we haven't reopened it. So nearly the entire operation of dealing with questions and early day motions and writing the order paper and so on is almost done entirely, you know, remotely. Um, And that is a model which we've adopted in quite a few other areas. Select committees has been a real mixture. Um, Sometimes when we've had hybrid or virtual meetings, we've had to have one or two people on the estate. And some people have basically said, can I volunteer every time there's a meeting because I want to get out of my squalid bedroom, you know, in a shared house for the people I don't know, and actually come to Westminster. Uh, we did a survey of ours. We've obviously been surveying our staff. There's quite a strong appetite as elsewhere in, in the world for continuing some kind of hybrid working model. Oh, I should also add, we've had staff who can only work at work. Yeah. Security guards, doorkeepers, catering staff, they've had to come in throughout the entire pandemic to keep the show on the road. We've, we've reduced numbers, you know, you close entrances, you cut that back on catering, so you don't have all of them there all the time. Um, but, you know, there's always been a hardcore of people who have to be there. Um, and I think people have had much the same experience uh, as at people elsewhere. Some of it's really good and they like working from home. I enjoy being able to, you know, wander around my, you know, my garden at lunchtime, but I've got a little garden, so I'm really lucky. So it's much easier for me working, than It's other colleagues. Hannah,
1: Thanks. may I just yeah. sorry, but Hannah, may I just come in on the back of Matthew, please? Sorry to interrupt. It's just that I think Matthew's made an exceptionally important point um about parliamentary staff. And um I prior to the to the pandemic um we'd introduced in my office um working from home on certain days anyway um i have you know a, a, a mixed uh, very small number of of staff and um you know one is a very young man who loves being in parliament and you know it is all about being in parliament i'm sure part of it is about working for me but it is mostly about being in parliament uh and um and yet i have uh, a lady in her 40s who actually quite likes. Uh, working from home on a th- uh, on a friday and i have a young man who has a dog who would rather save the money on a dog sitter than work from home uh, uh, uh you know once once or twice a week and that's fine because the work is still being done and what they do is desktop related and so in a way i think what this has done is it's meant that we can as as employees, which is what we are as members of parliament, can also look at the needs of our team, knowing that it can work at home. And if they have personal circumstances, that means that they wish to work from home one or one or two days a week, then I think more members will now be amenable to that suggestion for our team.
0: That's really interesting. Um, and and can I sort of extend this point you, you you touched there on you know how the needs of staff ought to be taken into account. I think it's a really interesting question about how we now decide about which of these innovations are are completely ditched, which are kept, which um, might sort of be adopted, but used differently. And we've got a question saying, how should members be involved in the process of deciding what innovations to keep? And at what point? Because some MPs and peers have argued that we should just have a review once things have returned to, in inverted commas, normal, but isn't that a cynical attempt not to keep any innovation? Tracy can I come to you first on that one
1: Yeah I suspect that well there's already discussion going on um I suspect that the procedure committee is continued to look at this on an ongoing basis um and will certainly I mean certainly did a quick review on the limitations uh, of proceedings uh pre the changes that were made back in October, I think it was. Um, and so I, I suspect they will continue to look at this from an ongoing basis. And the Procedure Committee is you know, cross party. It looks at it on behalf of parliamentarians and then we will get um, uh, I, on House business. I suspect we will get a, a vote on it. Um, I don't know for sure, but I, I, I think that elements of proxy voting could um, remain. Um, or the, As much as I miss the tellers, um, who are all wonderful when we go through the division lobbies and um, uh, normally crack a sneaky joke about Tottenham, uh, I, I suspect some of the parliamentary pass uh, aspects of voting may well uh, be retained, because uh, I think it make it much quicker. Um, I don't know about the virtual stuff. Um, I, Matthew, I think said about witnesses to select committees you know that that may well continue um but it will be interesting to see how it it progresses i think there is an appetite from the vast majority of members of parliament that we want to get back to more personal uh discussion and debate um i could see and and i'm sure lord norton um will have a view on this i could see parts of it um having a um, it continuing in. Lords, not least because as Philip alluded to, it means that there has been a slightly wider uh, number of peers participating in proceedings. But I think in Parliament, uh, in the Commons, sorry, forgive me. um, I think there's a real sort of kind of appetite of, you know, colleagues champing at the bit to get back uh, into Westminster.
0: And Philip, can I I put the same question to you, but also to ask with your sort of Professor of Government hat on? Is there, a, is there a question around the people who don't get a say in this? Who are the people who might like to be MPs who would benefit from some of the innovations which might, you know, which the current set of MPs might say, well, we were happy with how it was before. That's why we stood for Parliament. We, we, we'd agreed that would work for our for our circumstances. Therefore, we don't need to keep those innovations. But we might be excluding a sole set of people who could become MPs because they do not get a say in these decisions.
3: Yes, I think um, it's going to be important in terms of process. I think there is a certain um, frustration in the house at the moment with um, not being able to be involved in um, influencing uh, how we uh, proceed. So I think there'll be desire to ensure that there's a opening up of hearing from uh, members of how we go uh, forward. So I think you've made an important uh point. So I think it's in, that, that there needs to be that access to be as open as possible to input um, from uh, members, including those that you may not normally hear from and anticipate, as you say, um, making it more inclusive and making it a more attractive environment of those who want, may wish to become uh, members. I think looking ahead as well, on your point about what may be continued. I distinguish between what I'd term continuity and reversion. By that, I mean, there may be a pressure to carry on some of the uh, innovations at the moment. There may be some tensions over, uh, do we continue with electronic voting? Do we go back to uh, doing it uh, physically? I think there'll be some pressure to allow at least some element of hybridity, the recognition that some members, it is very difficult for them physically to come in. It's an element of that. Um, I think the main pressure is to revert to what, to go back to what we were before. But my point about reversion is that some things may not be continued, but when we move to restoration renewal, when we decant, there may be a looking at, hang on, should we use some of the things we were doing um, during the period of pandemic that Um, might be useful. I can see certain pressures in that respect, which may be more um, cost uh, related, efficiency related than actually effectiveness in terms of doing our job. So I I have certain concerns uh, about uh, that, that the the emphasis may be on that rather than enabling uh, the institution to actually fulfil its functions effectively and focus on what matters, because coming back to an earlier point, focus on what matters of ensuring that there is actually space for members to meet informally. So we're not just recreating formal space, chambering committees, but the opportunity for members to mix informally, and also what I'd call public face, the public facing side of the institution we tend to neglect. And there's problems with that. Obviously, the at uh, uh, the moment, uh, and I'm very keen that we do actually address how to ensure that we interact with uh, members of the public, how do we disseminate information, but also how do we hear from members of the public and give them a feeling that they've got access as well. So those are some of the elements I think we need to be uh, addressing as we move forward.
0: Thanks, Philip. I'm gonna to come to, to Matthew and, and let him um uh give us his views on that. And then Tracy, I'll come to you for a final word. And I'm particularly interested in that point, uh your view on that point Philip made about the implications for the restoration and renewal programme of, of what we've experienced during the pandemic. But Matthew, um a uh, process for for deciding yeah.
2: what I say. It's an there. interesting one and it probably worked differentially in the two houses. I think, for instance, the laws is a kind of open-ended uh standing or temporary order which allows committees to meet virtually in our in the commons it's extendable for as long as you know the speaker can go on renewing it um but it could in theory be switched off at any time and all the underpinning standing orders in the house of commons all have an expiry date and you know theoretically those could just lapse and because the government tends has you know the 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 initiative over the agenda of the house um in principle That we could revert to the previous arrangements without any proactive decision by the House, and something like that happened right back at uh, early June last year. Uh, I mean, the Prime Minister in the Liaison Committee um, uh, just before Easter did say in response to a question, you know, Karen Bradley, the Chair of the Procedure Committee, did say, you know, can you commit to giving some time for a debate, you know, uh, and for the House to be able to make a decision? And the Prime Minister said, I'm sure that is going to be a necessity. So I think there's a that sounds to me like a commitment for some kind of debate. Um, but it, it just, you know, what, whether we just decide to switch everything off again or keep things or put things on the shelf for use again. I, I noticed a comment from Baroness Heyman in the sidebar and I'll promise I'll shut on a moment about what is our disaster recovery plan. You know, it, it, is, it is a consideration worth thinking about that if we had a kind of a short, a very short term sort of catastrophic failure of services in the palace and either at either end, whether we could switch quite rapidly to you know, a virtual model, which might be a lot quicker, you would keep Parliament going much more easily than decamping to some temporary uh, space. But that, as I say, is at an early stage. It would be nice, you know, not to to think about that. I mean, I think in terms of longer term, our our decamp. That's a very interesting question. I don't think leader of the House has played to this, but whether parliamentarians like Tracy and Philip would want to spend five years doing this, or however long the decamp would be. Um, it's not a question I can answer.
0: Thank you, Matthew, and uh, thank you for mentioning the the point in this sidebar. I encourage people to look at the Q and A because actually there's quite a lot of useful points that have been put in there, and responses actually from people uh, relate uh, to, to some of the questions, people with some useful information. So, Tracy, I'm going to give you the final word because we actually unfortunately have to draw this event to a close.
1: Well. My final word would be that I think we've made it work as best as we possibly can under the circumstances that we face. I think we've done so along with many other institutions and organisations across the country. Um, I think we should be enormously proud of ourselves as a parliament uh, in in a world where other parliaments haven't been able to do so uh, so efficiently and so effectively. Um, So I think that is a really important thing. I think there will be learnings from this. uh, And I think that's a really interesting point that Matthew uh, has just made in response to Baroness Heyman. About uh, disaster, sort of kind of recovery procedures. It's something that we can certainly take away. And although contingency planning and, and consideration was always on the table, I think we've we've learned that you know more so than ever before we need to have these plans written and and ready to go uh, at the drop of a hat. The the, the, the final thing I'd say is that I I think that we are along with other parts uh, of the country. Looking forward to to reopening because Parliament isn't just about Parliament proceedings. Um, It is the nation's Parliament and it is somewhere that they can come and visit. They can be, you know, uh, uh, involved uh, in the discussion. You can have the face to face meetings with members of Parliament, uh, members of the public. Um, And, you know, and and I think we want to get back to that position uh, as soon as possible. But it has worked um, to a great extent. Uh, throughout all the challenges, the ups and downs, um, thanks to the hard work of Matthew and his team uh, and other people across the parliamentary estate.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much uh, to everyone for joining us today. I think you'll agree it's been a fantastic discussion. I'm so sorry to everyone whose questions we we didn't reach. Um, There were very many I, I would love to hear an answer to. Um, but I'm afraid an hour is all we have. So my um, my very great thanks to everyone, uh, to, to Lord Norton, to Matthew, um, and to Tracy Crouch for joining us this morning. And uh, have a lovely day, everyone.